We are in our second week of this sermon series called Discipleship, and you've heard our passage of scripture today, a familiar passage of scripture, and it's interesting though, a, a few years ago there was a bumper sticker that was going around, and quite honestly, I, I think bumper stickers can do a lot of harm to the kingdom of God. Especially when you've decided to put a fish on your bumper and you go 20, 30 kilometers beyond the speed limit. I think of also the excuses that sometimes a bumper sticker will say. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. So that means I can go around and live like the world. Not a good bumper sticker. And, and the reality today is this bumper sticker was going around for a while. God is my co-pilot, and it came from a book with the same title, and actually there was a movie. I haven't seen the movie, but it's about a pilot that wrote his story about the Second World War, and it's an amazing story, and it's a good thing, hear me right. But that sticker is wrong. You know, we like to hear that. God, God does come into our life, you know, to be my co-pilot. The truth is today, God comes into your life to be your pilot. See, there is this form of pop Christianity that we're finding today in culture that is far from biblical Christianity. And if we're not careful, we'll fall for it. We'll hear one TV evangelist or another say to you, you can have your best life now. That God is here for you to help to realize all your dreams and your wishes. Like he's some little helper down there that he's in here in this life to give you everything you want. Everything you think you need to live the life you want. <coughs> Genuine Christianity is not about God helping you to achieve your dream. Genuine Christianity is about you giving up your dreams, your plans, your wishes, your all. To come and live the life that he has for you. That, my friends, is the very topic we have today. A serious topic. All of a sudden it got very quiet in the house of the Lord. But that is discipleship. We mentioned last week that the mission statement of the Church of the Nazarene, and maybe we need to talk about it more, and there's a new emphasis of it during, especially during this COVID situation. And, and the mission of the Church of the Nazarene is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. Say that with me. The mission of the Church of the Nazarene is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. You know the truth of it is, that's the mission statement probably of every church. Because <laughs> it's biblical. But you cannot make a disciple unless you are a disciple. See, there is no idea of making disciples unless we are disciples. Only disciples can make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus gave this great commission to go and make disciples. That is the important business of the church. Now hear me right. We have often thought the important business of the church is a decision, a moment. That is the opening of the door to discipleship. The church's business is not just like we have a, a gun and we check off those who come to faith and that's it, we've, we've arrived. The business of the church is disciples, that is biblical, and disciples make disciples and the kingdom of God grows. 
I remember when Pastor Mike and I first got saved and everybody was around me and encouraging me and praying for me and we were so, and then I came to faith and it's like I was forgotten about it. And then it was, oh, well, that will work on this husband of hers, this man. We've got to pray for him, and I'm thankful they did. And we prayed together, and, and several months later, Pastor Mike came to faith, and we were forgotten about it. <coughs> and there was, at that time, our little church in Mississauga, Ontario. We, we saw a revival. 25, 30 people came to faith. When you're a congregation of 70, and all of a sudden 35 people come to faith, you're, you're facing revival. We're the only two left. That I know of. I pray that they turn their hearts back around. That I'm not aware of the Lord knows things that I don't know. Praise God. And I'm hoping on that day when I get to enter into his kingdom, a lot of them are there. Or all of them are there. But there was no talk. We weren't talking about discipleship. It was all about we got to get people saved. We got to get people saved. We got to get people saved. Yes, that is true. That's where it starts. But if the church of the Nazarene, if any church of Jesus Christ is going to triumph and move forward in these days, especially at the end of a pandemic, it is going to be because of discipleship. It's always been about discipleship. And that, my friends, is the biblical business of the church. Is that we are to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus said. So first of all, we have to ask the question... <laughs> What does it mean to be a disciple? And so last week we backed up because we said, you know, this term Christian is used all over the place. And, and you can find it on the website if you want to see it, if you missed it last week. But the, the reality is, what is a Christian? And we, we concluded that a Christian is that individual who believes in Jesus Christ, who receives this gift of salvation and new birth and who obeys. And so this is this follow through this week. Of what does that obedience look like? And what does it mean today to be a disciple? That's a hard question. But here's even a harder question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? See, usually when we think of the word disciples, we think of 12 men walking around in robes who were the duh disciples because they didn't get it. And Jesus had to keep correcting them and showing them and teaching them. And that's often when we think of the word disciples, that's what we think is these 12 guys that followed around Jesus that didn't get it. But the truth of it is a disciple is a learner, a student, a follower. It comes from that reality that in Jesus' day, they had the rabbis, these teachers, and they would gather around them and they would follow them. And that is that reality of what a disciple is, is they are a person who is a learner, a follower, a student of their Lord. And so I've said it already that it means more than just conversion. It means more than just one decision made 45 years ago at an altar. It's more than I just raised my hand in a meeting or uh, you know, I've been baptized pastor or, or I, have, I have membership in the church. It, it means a whole lot more than those things. And so Jesus himself gave the definition of what a disciple these, the, the, you know, I said basically this message can preach itself. That's even three points. The Lord knew to give three points. <laughs> and, and it's the reality that this is what real discipleship is. Jesus is telling people, you want to be my disciple? Let me spell it out for you. This is what discipleship 
looks like. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so this first part is deny yourself. And I was raised in the Salvation Army, and we had what we called self-denial envelopes. And I, I remember seeing that, where uh, people in the, in the church would deny themselves of something and put it in an envelope, and then it would go into missions. And, you know, we, we hear of, well, I need to deny myself because it's Lent. Uh, I need to give up chocolate. I, I need to give up pop. Uh, some of us will say, well, I'll give up Timmy's. Is that what it means? Well, God help us if that's all we think denying ourselves means. See, that's usually done for a season. That's done for a moment. That's, and you know, if God's calling you to do that, amen to it. But this denying in the New Testament is this intentional dissociation with a relationship with a particular person. Now, did you get that? Intentional disassociation with in a relationship with a particular person. It is to disown somebody. It is to renounce somebody. It is the very thing that Peter did. You know, we often say, well, Peter, you know, he denied the Lord. But that word is much stronger there. He renounced the Lord when he denied him three times. And, and this is the same word that's used here. So what, what we're hearing Jesus saying here, we need to come to a place in our lives where we deny self, where we renounce ourselves. Disown ourselves. You say, well, how can I do that, Pastor? I want to hear it. I want to say to you that as a believer in Christ, I have found my true self. I have been, I am happier. I am better. I have more joy. I'm saying that I am finding who still today, who Betty Zita is. Because it is found in Christ. So that's not the denouncing we're talking about. What are we talking about? It is the I. The denouncing of the ego. Oh, God, help the church. Because I'll tell you, you can have made that decision for Jesus Christ, but there are a lot of flesh still in the church that needs to be crucified. Because it's about my music and my wishes and my wants and what I like and what I don't like. That, my friends, is the I that Jesus is saying you need to start to renounce. The self. The ego. He's saying that that is the very thing that if you want to be my disciple, this me, 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 this ego needs to be Denounced. You know, we go back into the garden. It seems like we'd love to go back into the garden and blame everything on Adam and Eve, but we have to go back into the garden because God, right from the beginning, gave commands. And Adam and Eve were given such freedom and liberty, but what? One thing. You can have everything. The whole creation is yours. You even get to name the animals. <laughs> but do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing. Don't do it. What did they do? They said, well, we're not going to follow God's commands. We're not going to, to, to do that. That's just a suggestion. We're, we're, we're going to do it our way. We, I, I know I want to have that fruit, and it looks good. And so the enemy said that this is all lies, and God's not 
trustworthy, so I'm going to eat that fruit, and I'm not just going to eat it, but I'm going to give it to my husband. And together, we broke God's commandments. And the truth of it is, we're all doing it ever since. Because <laughs> God didn't really say that. We live in a day where people have said it's no longer a command of the Lord, it's suggestions. And I can follow a suggestion or I can choose not to. Because ultimately, I like the words and the promises of God that keeps me where I want to be and what I want. It keeps my feeding my ego and my flesh and keeping my I, I, I. And it's all about me, me, me. No, it's not my friends. That is the enemy that keeps you entangled in your own ego. And so to deny Christ and self is to begin to lay aside my wishes and my wants, my ego, even my strengths, my selfish desires, and it is to put myself fully in the trust of God. This had been around for a lot of years, but it's still true. Here's the question, who's on the throne of your heart and your life? Is it self? Or is it Jesus? Is it God? See, to deny self is to dethrone, renounce self, and it is to put Christ in that position. And so we love to call him our king, and we love to call him Lord. We sing about it. He is Lord. He is Lord. We do all those things. But here's the hard question. Is he truly on the throne of your heart? That is the denying of self. It's not just giving up tennis. <laughs> That's the real denying of self. Then Jesus says, take up your cross and follow. Take up your cross. And, and we've heard that statement. I don't know if you've heard that statement, take up your cross. I've heard it this way. Well, that's just my cross to bear. Have you heard that? I've heard it in Italian because I remember being in Italy working with heroin addicts and the mothers, these sweet women of God, would talk about the fact that their child was a heroin addict and they were pulling their hair out and, well, that's just my cross to bear. There are, there are those who, who get, don't get along with people, well, that's my cross to bear. There are those who are annoying. Well, he's my cross to bear. And we, well, I had a problem. That's my cross to bear. You have totally missed what it really means. Because this is even before Christ is crucified. Think about it. And all around them are people being crucified on Roman crosses. And Jesus is saying to his disciples now, you need to take up your cross. What did it mean to take up your cross? Well, Rome was in control. They had complete authority, and individuals were seen as rebels to the cause of Rome. And so if you were seen as a rebel, they were going to make a spectacle of you, and they were going to take you, and they were going to bring you to your own execution so other people would learn a lesson, and they would put the cross beam on your shoulders and tie your arms around it, and as a spectacle in front of everybody to show that Rome ultimately had all authority, you walked down through the streets, of Jerusalem, outside the city, and all would see, and then you were hoisted up onto that beam, and that was nailed there, and you were crucified. And it was a statement from Rome, we have won, we have complete authority. 
And this person has been forced into submission. So when Jesus says to you, take up your cross, what's he saying? He's actually saying, have you been submissive? Are you submissive to me? Do I have complete authority in your life? Have I conquered your heart? Have I won your life? Have I, am I worthy of your complete devotion? And so there's a sense of humility and a sense of submissiveness and a sense of his authority when he says that we are to take up our cross so we renounce self. We're no longer on the throne of our lives. We make him Lord. And then there comes this place of utter submission where we make a spectacle of our lives and say he is in control and I am not. He is the great I am. And I am the great, I am not. And that is what it means to carry your cross. And we're told that the flesh will wear its ugly head from time to time, so it's a daily thing that we need to conquer, where we give him complete authority. See, I couldn't have given him authority last Sunday, but it doesn't mean he has authority today. I can be at an altar and pray and give him complete authority. I surrender all. And then Monday morning, pick it right back up again. And so it's a daily process where we submit ourselves to him in good times and difficult times. See, they, they had this agenda for Jesus. Up, up to this point in the scripture, they had an agenda for Jesus because he was the Messiah. And so they didn't want the biblical Messiah or even God's Messiah. They wanted their own Messiah. And that Messiah was going to come in and he was going to restore David's throne. And he was going to overthrow, right, overthrow uh, the Romans. And so they had their agenda. And Jesus has this deep conversation with them in this moment. And he says, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm trying to prepare you, but I'm going to get arrested. And I'm not just going to get arrested, I'm going to become, I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to be crucified by the Romans. And we know that dialogue, never Lord, that, that'll never happen. And, and, and Jesus says, well, let me tell you, it is going to happen, and you need to be willing to live that cruciform life as well. If you are my follower, that you are willing to submit to me and allow me to have complete authority over you. And let me prepare you for this, that, that as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in that book, The Cost of Discipleship, by the way, was martyred by the Nazis. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, we've been fortunate, we are not having to face literal death but there are believers even today as we've gathered here that are having to be, have to face death for Christ. I've had to pronounce, it's like those young students in Kenya that when they got up, they had to, they had to say whether they were a Muslim or whether they were Christian. And if they were Muslim, they were allowed to live. But if they were Christian, they were shot in the moment, in the spot. We remember Columbine when all of us talked about that many years ago. And we're fortunate we've never have had to face that. But I do know that if you're a believer today and you have biblical values, you will 
probably be ridiculed and mocked. Social media sure does that. That it seems like it's a joke to some. And so this is that reality of carrying our cross. It is that attitude of submissiveness. And then he says, follow me. We, we know that phrase all through the Gospels. He told Peter and Andrew, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And, and, and he said to James and John, follow me. And he, and he said to Matthew, the tax collector, the traitor, the outsider, come follow me. And the truth of it is, he says to all of us today, come follow me. Look to someone to the left and the right saying, follow Jesus. Oh man, you're on the ball today. Follow Jesus. Am I hearing in the church? Follow Jesus. Okay, now you're awake. Now, now you can say, that's fine, Pastor, but Jesus isn't physically here. <laughs> and, and those disciples, when Jesus called them, he was physically there. And it says they left everything. Notice the word, especially Mark, he loves this word immediately. And so immediately they dropped their nets and followed. We're told that. And we see that. Well, that's that's easy. Jesus walked in here physically today and said, Now, Benny Zia, I want you to follow me. And he started to walk out that aisle. I would immediately leave this pulpit and follow. That, that sounds pretty straightforward. But we still can follow Jesus. And because one of the reasons why we can say that, to follow someone, to follow Jesus, means to be with him. And so it means being with him. Spending time with him daily. I think of that hymn that says, with him, with him, all the way. And so that is part of it. It means that we are with him. We intentionally spend time daily in those practices that draw us close to him. And, and, and we sing praises to him. And we tend and spend time in prayer and sharing our hearts. And we listen for that small voice. And, and, and we read his word and let him minister to us. That is that idea of being with him. And it's not a religious thing. It's a relationship. That may, they might be with me is the first purpose of discipleship. To follow him. And, and we're also told with this discipleship that it's one thing to be with him. But the other thing of following him is to do what he did. See, when you sat under the teaching of a rabbi and a great teacher, you wanted to learn all that you could learn. That's head knowledge, right? And it's great to have head knowledge. But it wasn't enough just to sit under those teachers and leaders and to get the head knowledge. If you were really following a rabbi, if he was really your master and you were his disciple, you would do what he did. It's a way of life. And so if we're saying today that Jesus is saying to us that if you are my disciple, you're going to follow me, it means that we're going to be with him, but it also means we're going to be doing what he did. Or that's not true following. If I'm just getting head knowledge, and I'm not doing what he did, I don't, I'm not making myself available to what God would have me do, then I am not truly following Jesus. And as we said before, the disciples had an agenda for Jesus. And they didn't want to see him follow that. They had their own desires, their own wishes. They had their own self-seeking interests. 
And that had to be crucified as we spoke about. But now they had to follow Jesus in his path, in his ways, and do what he said to do. Not what they thought. And sometimes following Jesus means that we'll lose friends. We'll be alienated from some family members. Some might even lose their lives as we've seen. But ultimately, it means to count the cost, to follow Jesus. Somebody brought this idea up, and I thought it was kind of good, about Facebook, you know. How many of you are on Facebook? Quite a few. Well, Facebook is set up that you have friends. Now, somebody joked, what kind of friends are they? You know how you can tell what kind of friends they are? Tell them that you're moving Saturday and see who shows up to help you. what we liked about one condo and what we didn't like about the other. 
And finally, it came to that point where we said, Tina, the decision is yours. Because it's your life. It's your money. It's you that's going to be making the mortgage payments. It's you that's going to be living there. We can't make this decision for you. It's your choice. It was her decision to make. I think you get the message. I, I can do all I can do to preach God's word. I can lay this out before you today and ask the worship team to come. And, and I can put it out before you. But ultimately, it is your choice. Whether you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ or not. And like I said to you, we can never understand our mission statement. We can't go out and make Christ-like disciples in the nations unless we are disciples ourselves. We can't make Christ-like disciples even in West Prince. We can't make Christ-like disciples even in our family, our neighbors, our friends, unless we are willing to count the cost. Unless we are willing to be disciples ourselves. And it's not an easy road. I don't read, read anything in here about it being easy. It's free, wonderful gift. But it isn't easy. And so we can do pop Christianity and tell you all these things that if you want to be find yourself and you want God to be your co-pilot and you want God as your little helper to come and help you, then we can preach that, but that's not true to this. And that's not going to bring God's kingdom. And that's not going to make other disciples. And so I believe we are worthy of his true gospel and his true word to count the cost, because I'll tell you, there's no better way to live. <laughs> there is no better way to live. And the enemy will tell you, you know what you're going to lose if you do that? <laughs> and I want to say to you, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> because I'll tell you what you're going to gain is freedom and liberty and joy and peace and patience and presence and a future hope and glory. And I said so often, I want to see Jesus and I want him looking at me face to face when I enter in and he calls me home. And there's a twinkle in his eye when he sees me coming. Not that he hangs his head in shame and says, if only. <laughs> I wish you, I, I, you should have, you could have, maybe. That's not what I'm looking forward to. Now, have I arrived, as Paul would say there? No way. <laughs> But I know my heart, and he knows my motivation and heart too. And it is my desire to deny myself. I pray it's yours to take up my cross. Lord, I'm totally submitted to your will for my life. Notice that Jesus was submissive to the Father's will. So he's not asking you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And I'm not asking you something to do something that I'm not willing to do. But I'm reminded of it daily. Lord, you have complete authority. And wherever you are, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be what you're up to today. I want to, I want to spend time with you. And I, I need to be working on that. And I want to do what Jesus did. And Jesus said that we would do even greater things than he did. Now, that, that starts to sound pretty phenomenal. 
what did Jesus do? <laughs> Think about it. And he says, if we are his disciples, that we'll be able to do even greater things in this day. Because he's gone back to the Father and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And there is no containing now God's kingdom. It is not kept in Jerusalem and the Middle East. It is available to all, even in Elmsdale, Prince Edward Island. Hallelujah. And wherever we might find ourselves. Father, we come to you today. This is not an easy word. Again, this is the reality of the truth of your word, that you have called us to be disciples. It is ultimately our choice individually. And we know today whether we have been true to this call, these words of yours, Jesus, whether we have been denying self, renouncing the self, and dethroning self to enthrone you. You know if, if we've been taking up our cross, if we are totally submitted to you, if you have complete authority over our lives. I believe right now the Holy Spirit is pointing out things in your life that you have not given him authority. And today's the day. Holy Spirit, Jesus, walk into those dark, locked rooms of our lives. Those places we have, oh, we're, we're totally committed, but not that. There, Lord, <laughs> not that. And you're wanting all. And help us to follow you in this day, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.